Welcome to the eighth podcast in our series, Life in the Time of Coronavirus. Anne Phoenix, Professor of Psychosocial Studies at UCL, explores five forms of inequity that the coronavirus has heightened. These, she explains, have triggered several social responses or disruptions that can only be understood in an interrelated way as transformational conjunctions. If anyone had told us in advance that we would spend much of the second quarter of 2020 locked down in our homes, or that the police would be enforcing social distancing, we would probably not have believed them. If they had added that neoliberal states would be scrambling to support workers who have been furloughed or made redundant, it would have seemed like dystopian, speculative fiction. Yet not only did COVID-19 take us by surprise, so too did the intercontinental waves of protest triggered by the casual, racist murder of George Floyd by a USA policeman. 2020 will undoubtedly be remembered for massive, unexpected disruptions that require new social normalities to be negotiated. These social disruptions were triggered by unexpected viral pandemics and viral video footage, but they've built on already existing entrenched inequities to produce unexpected and transformational conjunctions. I'd like to pick out five examples. First, COVID-19 and George Floyd's murder came after a sea change in environmental action. Since October 2018, Extinction Rebellion had used peaceful civil disobedience to force the urgency of environmental issues into social consciousness and onto political agenda. Also in 2018, Greta Thunberg, then aged 15, started protesting outside the Swedish parliament. The global school climate strike movement she inspired helped to heighten global consciousness of climate change. Secondly, long-standing campaigns against the pervasiveness of racism and colonialism have gained ground in universities over the last five years. For example, the Roads Must Fall campaign started at the University of Cape Town in March 2015 fueled similar actions in other universities in several countries and led to demands for anti-racist change in university curricula, admissions, employment and outcomes. The UCL eugenics inquiry from 2019 to 2020 and reparations for profits from the slave trade from Glasgow University to the University of the West Indies in 2019 are two such examples. Catherine Hall's pioneering research at UCL, following the money paid in compensation to slaveholders after abolition, also helped to shift consciousness of the legacies of British slave ownership. Third is the racism that led Meghan Markle and her husband, Prince Harry, to renounce royal titles and leave the UK at the end of 2019. 
many white journalists denied that the media had been racist, while black and other commentators pointed to outrageous examples of how she'd been continuously traduced in well-worn, racist ways. Fourth, the racism evident in the operation of the Conservative government's hostile environment produced what the Guardian journalist Amelia Gentleman dubbed the Windrush Betrayal. Hundreds of British migrants from the Caribbean were treated as illegal migrants after decades of living legally in the UK. They were refused free health care, pensions, rights to accommodation. Some were deported to countries they did not know. Research from members of social scientists against the hostile environment shows how government hostility to migration produces extensive injustices and extends the work of maintaining national borders into everyday life. Fifth, the hunger of children living in rich countries was already provoking disquiet. In the UK, for example, Rebecca O'Connell and her colleagues at UCL have shown that children in low-income families often go hungry, particularly in school holidays. They feel shame and social exclusion because of lack of money and food. Children whose parents have no recourse to public funds because they have unresolved immigration status sometimes cannot eat anything during their six hours at school each day. All five of these issues were part of the context in which COVID-19 entered all our lives. It was common in the early days of the pandemic for politicians and commentators to say that COVID-19 does not discriminate. A virus does not discriminate between religion, colour or wealth. This is of course true. But the research analyses that followed show that both COVID-19 and the measures taken to arrest it exacerbate already existing social inequalities. We now know that there are much higher morbidity rates for minoritized ethnic groups, for men and elders, and increased disadvantaged and damaged educational prospects for children living in poverty. People, of course, belong to several social categories at the same time, so intersectionality is central to outcomes. While it's possible to think of these differences as innocent and natural, COVID-19 showed that government policies do discriminate. As Georgie Weems and Nira Yuval Davis argue, one of the most extreme forms of inequalities is that between those of us who belong, who have citizenship status and claims of entitlement, and those who have no such claims and rights, and who are abandoned to starve and locked down in detention camps and other forms of incarceration. COVID-19 sharpened awareness of inequalities, as well as heightening the inequalities themselves. It is perhaps not surprising, then, that footage of the extended and casual racist murder of George Floyd evoked revulsion and anger around the world. Many felt that it was one police murder too far, and an instance of racism that was not an isolated case of one bad apple, but part of a 400-year continuum of racism, exploitation, 
and contempt for black lives. Together, the local and global inequalities exposed and exacerbated by COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter have foregrounded the urgency of the fight for social justice. The demonstrations for Black Lives Matter and the toppling of the statue of the 17th century slaver, Edward Colston, have galvanized many people into social action and many businesses and universities into public responses. UCL, for example, has denamed rooms and buildings called after eugenicists. Oriel College at Oxford University has announced that it will take down the statue of Cecil Rhodes, and Lloyd's of London Insurers has apologised for its role in the transatlantic slave trade and promised to fund charities and organisations promoting opportunities for black and ethnic minority groups. The media has given attention to racism across society and recognised that struggles against racism are far from new. In the UK, the footballer Marcus Rashford was able to help persuade the government to change its mind and give food vouchers to children whose families cannot afford to feed them over the school summer holiday. Of course, this is not a simple story of straightforward progress. There's already resistance and backlash from those who want to return to the previous status quo as soon as possible, or to assert that white lives matter. There are potential intergenerational fissures produced both by COVID-19 and responses to Black Lives Matter. And campaigners for hashtag Say Her Name repeatedly point out the sexism that ignores US police killings of black women, such as 26-year-old emergency medical technician Breonna Taylor in March 2020. Yet, this unforeseen conjunction of events and protests has the potential to produce transformative reimaginings of society and of political possibilities. There's clearly a new appetite across racialized and ethnicized divides to try to understand the nature of everyday racism and its insidious, damaging effects. As Greta Thunberg says, it feels like we've passed some kind of social tipping point where people are starting to realize that we cannot keep looking away from these things. We cannot keep sweeping these things under the carpet, these injustices. It shows that in a crisis you act, and you act with necessary force. COVID-19 has shown that governments can act to try to solve social problems when they feel obliged to do so. In her 2009 TED Talk, talk Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie says, Stories have been used to dispossess and to malign, but stories can also be used to empower and to humanize. The 2020 perturbations mean that we are in the middle of plotting new stories. These will, hopefully, enable us to oppose policies that produce inequalities. If so, the unexpected conjunctions of environmental movements, COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter has the potential to be transformative, helping to forge a future 
that recognizes the legacies of the past and invigorates claims to social justice. Thank you for listening. Thanks also to Anne Phoenix. Do send us your feedback and proposals at a.brainchat at ucl.ac.uk and find more talk pieces in the Institute of Advanced Studies website or your podcasts app. Music is by Smallhouse and the BBC Sound Archive. Communications are by Patricia Mascarell-Bombard. Production and edition are by me, Albert Benchatelar, and executive producer is Tamar Look after yourselves and others. See you soon. <laughs>